Principal Matters Podcast, episode 278. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm back with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's a an assistant superintendent in Dublin City Schools. Jen Schwanke, welcome back to Principal Matters. I, we haven't seen each other on this podcast since before Christmas, although we've talked offline, but welcome back. Happy new year. How are you and your family doing? And did you have a great holiday? We did. We had just a lovely, lovely holiday. And, um, you know, it's, I always say for educators, a successful break is when at least once you ask yourself what day it is. And I can (laughs) tell you, I did that. So it was a successful break. How about you? Did you have a good new year? We had a wonderful new year's, you know, my mom and dad live in Northwest Tennessee on a farm. And so we got to travel out there with beautiful weather and with some COVID precautions because they're in their 80s, but it was the first time our family's been together for a holiday like that since all of the craziness that's happened. And speaking of craziness, I know that all around the U.S. right now uh, and in other places around the world, we've seen spikes in COVID. And so I'm not sure about Ohio, but in Oklahoma, boy, we've had lots of schools pivoting again and shortages of bus drivers and staffs and teachers. So Principal Matters listeners, just a quick shout out to you wherever you are in that situation that uh, you're not alone. We know that not only is school still going um, strong with all of its expectations, but you're doing that carrying a lot of extra baggage. And Jen, I know you, you help schools manage that as well. So kudos to you and the work that you're doing in your district. But this week, we want to talk about something that I came across, Jen, that you wrote recently for ASCD. And that is how to encourage and motivate staff from the perspective of, of the school leader. And recently, ASCD, this was actually in December. And if principal manager listeners, if you've not seen this great article by Jen, I'm going to link it in the show notes. But you wrote an article called First Engage Teachers, a principal's role in cultivating staff motivation. And I wanted to take today's episode and just have a conversation about some of those reminders that sometimes we need as leaders to help us remember the mindset that we should have as we step into helping teachers. So Jen, if it's okay with you, I would love to just, first of all, read you back a quote that you wrote and then (laughs) ask you to kind of walk through some of those takeaways. There's five of them that I want to have an opportunity to ask you about, but you started that article um, with a quote that when principals, this is you quote, when principals foster a staff's collective belief in themselves, their staff will incorporate that positive esteem toward their own motivation and engagement to work with students. And you set that within the context of a lot of research. So I wanted to go there first before we start talking about strategies. Why is it important for principals to keep those ideas in mind? Well, I I truly believe from my experience as a principal and from watching many, many successful principals that there's so much more power in us than in I. And I think I'm actually going to tie back to what you said a few minutes ago when you were thanking educators for really stepping up and doing really hard things these days. And that is an us effort. 
you know, no educator could navigate these complicated waters of COVID if we were doing it alone. We need each other and we are better together. And when we are approaching these problems and challenges and feel like we have a team, it just feels so much less lonely, right? And so I think that the context of COVID has really highlighted how incredibly important schools are. And I think a lot of the pushback and pressure we're getting from parents comes from a fear that, you know, are we going to close down again? Are we going to have to go remote again? The, the value of educators and of schools has never been more obvious. And to respond to that as a team, um, you know, a, a collective group of educators nationwide and internationally, but also as a school, there's really power in that because it, it both solidifies and reinforces and proves how strong we are together and, and what good work we do for kids every single day. That is what drives me as an educator. And I think many teachers would also say, when I feel best as a teacher, it's because I'm working as a team. Mm. My, my students benefit more. My parents feel more comforted. My, you know, all of that, it, 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 it really points to that idea of collective efficacy. Yeah. And let me just jump in for a moment because, um, for a little bit of application, because I'm sure it's not just my state, but I've seen this year, especially in the politics surrounding schools. So often um, as people become more fearful, as they're more concerned, as they feel more desperate for the seeing the needs of their students met, um, schools are obviously uh, doing everything that they can to, to meet those needs. But what I've been seeing happening politically this year, that's really, that's troubled me is th- how sometimes in politics, people want to pit us against each other. And so the idea that somehow um, the decisions of a principal may be at odds with what's best for their school, or let's somehow get people upset with the quote unquote administration's decision. And, and that backfires because anytime you, 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 you step into um, creating disunity among a school team or a district family, whatever you want to call the work that we do together, is so counterproductive. And so what I really appreciated about this article, Jen, was it was kind of a, a, a rallying call back to some of the better ideas that we need to have in mind to remember that this is this is our goal as leaders, is to is to continue to build um, teacher efficacy and to remind us that that we are in this together. Right, right. And I just to reinforce the important concept here is collective teacher efficacy. Mm-hmm. We are better together as a group. And I really think there was a, a risk of us us collectively losing the power of that um, team approach, especially when COVID first came on the horizon in in early 2020. There was a competitive culture that really, really bothered me. And I said to my staff at the time, we are not competing to see who handles this best. We are not competing to to see who makes the most cute video of our of our students. We're not competing for who's going to send home the the best worksheets or have the best Google Classroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're in this together because if we have if we're competing in any way then there's going to be a winner and a loser, right? That's what competition is. And so any sort of environment that a principal creates, and and I do talk about this in the article, any any competitive culture is really toxic for a school. It's just gotta be common language. And that actually was 
was what I talked about in the very beginning of this article is a collective language. We, our, us, mm. um, they, you know, caring for one another, catching someone if they stumble or aren't sure where to, to proceed. Um, do we celebrate things that go well without that bitterness or resentment that comes with competition? Those are the kind of things that principals should be watching for as they lead their schools through tricky times. Well, and you also highlight just five really helpful reminders. And obviously, uh, I would encourage listeners to, to read this article in full, but it says they're listening to us talk, Jen. I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to each of these areas with just some reminders of why you highlighted these as important takeaways. And the first is, is listen. Right, right. And, and these are just tricks that I have used I want to be clear, I'm not the expert on any of this. I think every principal out there has their own bag of tricks that helps them lead a collective team. But, but you know, this article spoke to a lot of people. I, I was a little taken aback by how many folks utilized it because I think it's just a reminder of things that we know. So I want to really give that acknowledgement to the experts out there. I think this article has five reminders. And the first one is listen. And, you know, I say that listen, Listening really requires discipline. Well, you and I have talked about this before. We have to hear more than we speak. We have to use those two ears and one mouth for a reason, as a friend of mine used to say. And what I listen for is, are we using team language? Are we saying that we, our, us, more than we say I? Are we taking care of one another? When there is a problem, do we say freely, hey, you know who knows a lot about this? Let's go ask that person. Or do we say, you know, someone who um, has been through this before, we need to bring them to the table. Can you text them and call them to ask them to join this meeting? You know, are we utilizing that collective expertise? Similarly, do they celebrate really good things together? When something positive happens, is the credit dispersed amongst the team? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that I really discipline myself to listen for. And if I don't hear them, that doesn't mean somebody gets in trouble at all. That means maybe there's a shift that I need to make in how I express collective appreciation, how I talk about community. And, and modeling is really the most powerful tool I think principals have in their toolkit. A lot of times I think principals think they have to do something punitive when someone is being selfish or competitive. And that's not the case at all. I think it's just kind of a, a, a movement toward um, modeling that collective culture again. Mm. You also, uh, the second area you talk about is remove competition. And you touched on this just a little bit earlier, but go there, go, go there with us again in terms of why this is such an important part of culture building. Right. You know, I feel some kind of way about culture. Let me just tell you about competition. And that's because I grew up in a very competitive home and competition is something that is, is very celebrated in our culture. And that I don't think that's healthy. Um, my, the competitiveness I grew up with was because I had siblings who we were very active athletically and the community and the newspaper even would compare times in the paper publicly of how my sisters and I ran. And so mm -hmm. that is not healthy because especially with, when we're trying to get to the end game together, we're all trying to be good. Mm -hmm. If we celebrate only a stat or an, um, some sort of a um, publicly accepted marker as the winner, that's no good. And here's the problem with public education and competition, social media. 
And by that, I mean, everyone now can go on social media and post um, a picture or a video or ask a question about something they heard happened in a classroom and why isn't everyone else doing this and what does this teacher do? It is really a toxic culture and it does no favors for our, for our teachers. And okay, so where do principals land in that? Here's where. If a principal does things like have teacher of the month or a special parking spot for a certain staff member, or I'm going to buy donuts for um, the the best test scores or whatever, I you know I'm I'm kind of kind of making this up a little bit mm-hmm. as I go, but principals need to really stay focused on celebrating everyone. A good mm-hmm. example is I talked to a principal not too long ago, and their um, uh, bargaining unit really wanted to thank teachers. So these wonderful, lovely, delicious donuts from a, you know, a a kind of a cultural icon in the community came for all the teachers. Well, guess who didn't get a donut? The paraprofessionals, the secretaries, the um, speech language pathologists, you know, the people that weren't on the teacher list. And the principal said to me, this was incredibly damaging. It was months. And, and, you know, it kind of turned into those jokes where (laughs) my mom used to say, we joke about the most serious things, the jokes of, well, wish I had a donut, you know, it became almost a symbol Mm -hmm. of a broken staff. And so I think principals really just need to refuse to support any systems that reward winners and losers or favorites above others. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a way to, to insist that collective efficacy becomes your driving force. I think that's such an important point, Jen. And I, I think a distinction there too is to remember the difference between celebration and competition. Right. Because we we have to celebrate. It's a part of recognizing the good things that are happening. It's a part of the playfulness that we need in order to have a healthy culture. But celebration is different than competition. And even when you're recognizing the good things that teachers do, how do you do it in a way that's that's collective? How, you know, that this that we are together celebrating, for instance this great project that this teacher and her classroom pulled off together. I'll give you a, just a, a small example. I have a principal friend named Chris Legrand who leads a, a school in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And he has a, uh, instead of giving out a teacher of the month award, he does a traveling trophy so that every month a staff person who chooses among the rest of the staff, somebody they want to recognize for something positive they've done. And it goes from staff person to staff person to staff person to staff across his teaching and non-instructional staff members. And that's just one of several different ways that he celebrates his teachers, but he's tried to figure out how do I let them recognize one another's success? So this doesn't become me playing favorites. It becomes the team recognizing one another's successes. And that's really important because he's the evaluator, right? And so they're going to watch everything he says and why he says it and who he celebrates. Early in my career, I decided I was going to um, publicly thank every staff member. And I, you know, I had a, a, a notebook and I wrote down people that I had set in my weekly newsletter. I would say thank you to so and so for doing this great thing. And I, I thought, I'm going to get to everybody. Well, what happened is I began to get scrutinized for how much I said about an individual person or, or how I said it, or if it seemed inauthentic as opposed to authentic. And I I kept thinking, I can't win. I can't win. I'm trying to do a really good thing here. And now there's some sort of a unidentifiable rubric out there that I'm being judged on. And so I abandoned the whole thing and I was mad for about five years. But the point 
the, the learning in that for me was anytime you publicly thank an individual, there are people who didn't get publicly thanked in that moment and they're going to remember it. And so that's not to say public thank yous aren't valuable. They really, really are, but they should be tied to a collective action. So as an example, I really want to thank Mrs. Tolley because she has helped us revamp our MT, MTSS process. And she really worked with the team on this. And now all of you are going to be able to experience some of the things that her team put together. So you see, I'm thanking her, but I'm mm -hmm. acknowledging she didn't work alone. And I'm acknowledging that the, um, that the benefits to her work affect us all. That's such a great example, Jen. And in some ways it kind of leads into the third area that you talk about, because the third thing that you remind leaders of is that we need to present our expectations with care. So just like we celebrate by, you know, I know sometimes it's hard to think so deeply about the way you communicate, right? <laughs> but welcome to leadership, because just right. like the way that you communicate the celebrations of your team is important, so is the way that you're communicating your expectations. So talk about that for a minute. Right. So this is another area I feel very strongly about, and I know we'll probably get some pushback. Will some people will not like what I'm about to say, but I hate the word expectations and how we use that word with grownups. I think of expectations as something that we would outline, um, outline maybe for, well, I'll talk about myself, my kids. My expectation is that they pick up their wet towel every day. It's just an expectation. This is what I want from you. Right. But when I go to adults, many of whom have master's degrees and are quite competent and excellent at their work, and they are told things that are very, um, in their world, uh, minute details, um, it's insulting, right? And so I expect you to be at work at work by 8 a.m. Or I expect you to have your lesson plans in my mailbox by Friday. For a teacher, that feels insulting because they feel like they're being spoken to as if they were a child. And it cuts off input conversation and shared motivation, right? It it becomes a parent a, a parental perspective looking down at someone who can't cope without these expectations. And so I think we're supposed to have expectations. Please don't get me wrong. We just have to be careful how we, we communicate them. And in the article, and, and, and you know, I think a lot of people really responded well to this. I have just a very brief graph there or graphic where I, I suggest just four different ways that you might reframe your expectations in motivating language, as opposed to language that stops the conversation. And so as an example, Rather than saying to a teacher, well, I expect you to call that parent and find a solution. You might say, you know, I really hope we can engage the parent in this conversation and maybe we can come, come up with a solution that works for everyone. See, I'm saying the exact same thing, Will, exact same thing, but, but it feels different. Mm -hmm. There are others in that, Jen, and I'm just going to highlight another one that you have, which is, you know, I expect all students to graduate on time. And your suggestion is let's get together and review our systems of support so we're sure every student will graduate on time. There's such a difference there between laying down a law and reminding people that together we have goals that we're trying to reach. And this works not just with teachers. It works with student discipline. It works with school-wide expectations. The ways that we phrase our language communicates a lot about the kind of culture that we're trying to facilitate. And I know sometimes I feel like we're broken records because right. we've, we've talked about these things before, but, um, but I'll just say this as another example, but if principals, if the majority of the messages that you're giving through your PA system or when you're making announcements are corrective or punitive, right. Then that's, 
the tone of the culture that your students expect in your school and your teachers. Right. So kind of evaluate the messages. Right. What, what are the kinds of expectations that you're conveying just by the things that you're saying, even when you're reminding people of things or giving right. them announcements, because there's a big difference between um, reminding teachers that and, and staff that um, we have an assembly today at 2 PM. I so appreciate all of you being present so that we have a safe supervision that's right. one way versus teachers do not be late to this assembly. And I expect you to be in your places to supervise. Exactly. Exactly. Those, yes, those two completely two different ways of communicating and affecting and influencing your culture. Right. Well, and I, I talked to a principal um, actually who lives in Seattle. We, I was doing a presentation and he said, listen, I use expectation language, but I soften it afterwards. And I said, okay, tell me what you mean. And he said, I would say, I expect all students to graduate on time, but then I would say, but let me know if you need anything. And I said, but here's the problem with that is let me know if you need anything. You're, you're not, you have not, you're not providing details about what you might do to help. And so you are saying, Hey, here's my expectation. And if you can't do it, you let me know. And so it feels as though, you know, just a train wreck I, as it, to the teacher, I got to do this. And if I can't, I'm going to have to go to my principal as a failure and say, hey, I need help. And so, you know, blanket offers of help are really no good if the expectation is such that it's not framed in team language. Yeah, I saw uh I probably shouldn't quote Twitter feeds because sometimes they can be so toxic, <laughs> but I saw a teacher yesterday put a post up and they deleted the administrator's name, but they were saying, you know, how hard today is going to be. And, and I think their admin had said, send a message out with something like wear your mask and, and weather through or something right, like that. Right. And, and I was just like, you know, I'm sure the intention was to be positive, but sometimes right. you, sometimes maybe just not saying anything at all right. um, would help. Uh, right. teachers in those, in those moments too. Well, well, Jen, the area number four that you talk about is, um, and so principal manager listeners, just for summary, listen, number one, two, remove competition, three, present expectations with care. And I just think those three are so important. And then four is a reminder to look inward. Talk about why that, why is that important? Well, the quote I use here, it's one of my favorites for principal principals. When the principal has a cold, everyone in the building has a cold, right? Or when the principal sneezes, everybody catches a cold. I've heard a couple of versions, but it's really true that um, how the teachers feel in a building truly is a direct correlation with how their leader feels. And I feel a great deal of empathy for teachers who um, work in an environment in which the principals don't believe in their staff and students or believe that they need to micromanage everything they do because the staff will know that, right? And so I think if principals believe in the outcome, believe in themselves, first of all, and believe in the outcomes of their work, the teachers will really feel like they can do the same thing. And a trick that works for me is if I'm feeling like, you know, a little unbalanced here, like I'm, I'm not feeling good about the work we're doing together. I go and seek points of data that will highlight how we are doing a really good job. And so you can create a list of, Hey, here's some numbers that show how wonderful we're doing. Um, you know, there's 500 kids in my building and 300 of them participate in a, in a school sport or, mm -hmm. you know, we, we had exam week and 
every single kid completed the exams that we asked them to complete. And those that did not pass, every single one of them came to a a study session or retake. You know, whatever structures your school has in place to help people succeed, find those structures and go get some numbers to put behind them. Mm. First of all, to make you feel really good. And second of all, your list will be personalized and individualized for your building. And so your staff will think, huh, look at that. Look what we did. Look at, Mm -hmm. look at us. I mean, how about that? And it's a, it's a feel good moment that you can share together with your people. Well, and Jen, that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important. Um, And for listeners, for those of you that do this, I just want to commend you is to have um, consistent communication with your community about those wonderful things that are happening. And so I think sometimes we want to, um, to believe that people are just noticing those things. But the truth is that unless you take a moment to look inward and and to actually observe and grab some of that data and some of those successes and then share them consistently, then they're probably not going to come to the notice of other people. Right. I, I know that's right. just like so common sense, but right. we've said this so many times before, but the, but people's natural inclinations are to notice the challenges and the negatives that are in front of them every single day. Right. And if right. that becomes where we spend all of our t- time and attention and communication, then that becomes the, the culture of our school. Exactly. But if we, but if we shift consistently back to what are the, what are the other wonderful things happening? I may have dealt with 5% of my student population today who are causing difficulties, but 95% of my student population were engaged in, in behaving and, and showing up and, and doing school. How do I make sure the shift on that 95% is just as strong as that shift of the focus that I had on the 5%. Right. And that's hard exactly. with energy because you're spending your time and energy putting out the fires of the 5%. But what you have to display in communication to the rest of your school is the 95%. And it's the right. same thing with classroom teachers. I mean, you you can have a really difficult moment. I've been that teacher. I'm just going to be really blunt. I've been that teacher with who's broken up a fight with blood on my hands that I've had to go wash off. And then three minutes later, I'm stepping into a classroom of kids who didn't even know um, that I was involved in a situation managing right. <laughs> safety and I'm putting on a smile. Right. And I'm showing up because those kids that are there right there are there to learn. Right. And they and they're and they're going to hear about the drama and stuff that happened too. But those two kiddos that were just involved in that dangerous situation have been taken care of and are being right. managed. But all those other kiddos, the hundreds that are still there doing the right thing, they need my attention and full focus yep. and, and reminders that um that I'm there for them. So that's hard work. Um but but looking but looking inward is just so important. Um, Jen, there's a fifth area, and I want to make sure that um, we have time to cover all five of these, and that is build teachers up. So let's talk about that for a moment. Well, I opened this section in the article just by saying, you know, some people apparently don't need others to say they're doing a good job, and I am not one of those people. I love to hear especially my supervisors acknowledge me and my work and how I'm doing. And so um, people who don't need the expressions of gratitude or acknowledgement are foreign to me. I don't know you people. (laughs) I like to feel like my work has impact and people notice. Okay. So if I'm like that, so we're teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I need to make sure that my, my teachers feel like I see and hear and value them. And so, um, I, it goes beyond just saying, thank you. I think many, many of your listeners have mastered the art of showing gratitude for, for the work that a staff does together. Um, 
you know, meals, trinkets, treats, surprises, those kind of things. And, and as we spoke about earlier, we don't want to do this in a competitive way, but just a collective value way. And so I try to weave my gratitude, my collective gratitude into everything that I do. It's not as simple as ending an email with a signature that says, thanks for all you do feels authentic. And it feels kind of like just this, this comment thrown over the shoulder as you walk away, it should be in the moment. It should be, Hey, what you guys did to, to make this happen is really amazing. Or, Hey team, I know you worked extra hours to get this done. That's, it's just something that's really going to make a difference for our building. Those kind of conversations, they, they can become habit. I think it's just as, you know, we practice yoga or we run miles or we read 20 books over the course of a summer, we can set this goal and we can achieve it in a way that it becomes almost second nature, just who we are and what we do. And it's, it's just that saying thank you and acknowledging hard work to a collective group. Jen, that's so good. Well, Principal Managed Listeners, I just want to, uh, again, commend this article to you and I'll place it in the show notes, but just to highlight those five takeaways from Jen Schwanke, number one, listen, number two, remove competition. Number three, present expectations with care. Number four, look inward. And number five, build teachers up. Those, you know, Jim, when you look at that list, it seems like those are simple reminders, but all of the, all of those reminders are couched within the context of relationships. Because you and I both know that, you know, you can even have a list of, I'm going to do all these things this week and, and try harder, but trust is built through engagement and relationships and, and time. And so for those of you that are listening to this, thank you for the time that you spend building trust with teachers by being present, um, by being a good listener, um, by being in the trenches with the work that they're doing, because when you've built that trust, um, then all of these reminders couched within that context are, are helpful. There is no such thing as a perfect school. I just want to remind you of that too, because sometimes I think we all get into this mindset that utopia exists somewhere outside of where we are. Um, and it doesn't, um, right. but in, in your own school community will never be perfect, but by golly, it can be a much stronger and more positive place when we're together collectively reminding ourselves that, uh, that we're a team. Right. Um, that we're not competing with one another uh, and that we recognize and appreciate the the hard work of those around us. Jen, right. any, any closing thoughts as we wrap up this week? No, I don't. I, I, um, I just want to give a shout out to the principals who are doing all of this. I mean, this is what we're all doing. And these uh, five points are just meant to be reminders of how powerful it is. If we approach our building as a collective group doing, doing awesome things. So um, just keep up the great work, everyone. You're doing it. You're in, you're doing it. You're doing the hard stuff. Well, Principles Matters listeners, if you have feedback or questions and you'd like to engage, you can always find this post at my website at williamdparker.com, or you can email me at will at williamdparker.com, or you can reach out to Jen at her website at jenschwanke.com. But until next time, thank you so much for doing what matters, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.